0: episode 25, Patrick speaks with Alex Kissinger of Oxford University. The team discuss the visualization of quantum processes, how to teach
1: quantum, ZX calculus, and quantum key distribution. Welcome to Entangled Things, your
0: quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Welcome, everybody, to Entangled Things. Uh, Cyprian can't be here today, so I'll say hello to him over the podcast instead of in person. Uh, but we're joined by, or I guess I'm joined, by Alex Kissinger. Uh, Alex, can you tell our audience about yourself?
1: Uh, hi. Yeah, I'm an uh, associate professor at Oxford University, professor of quantum computing. Uh, I've been here, I guess, now two years. I only, I only properly... Moved physically to 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 Oxford just in time for the pandemic, so oh. so, uh, so I I spent most of those two years in my house. Um, but I also did my PhD at Oxford and uh, and a postdoc some years ago. Excellent. Been away for for a few years in in the Netherlands at the University of Nijmegen, also doing um uh, I was a professor of quantum logic and structures there. Um, so, yeah, I focus, I guess, on uh, quantum computation, quantum software on the one hand, and also uh, the foundations of quantum theory on the other hand, uh, so, and also looking at ways that these connect to each other.
0: So you've written a couple of books and that, that go into the representation of this, which is really, I think, one of the most fascinating things is visualization of quantum processes or picturing quantum processes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about those books?
1: Yep. Yeah. So, so uh, you've very usefully said the name of the book, uh, the, the first book that's out. Uh, it's called Picturing Quantum Processes, um, a first course in quantum theory and diagrammatic reasoning. Uh, it was written by me and Bob Kuka. Um, this is starting to get kind of colloquially known as the Dodo book uh, because it's got a picture of a purple dodo on the yeah. cover. And that's, that's Dave the Dodo, who, who features. Sort of throughout the book, so so for instance, if if uh, so, it's so it's me and Bob. So you see Alex and Bob being Alice and Bob in our sort of yep. communication protocols. And if there's going to be a if there's going to be a man in the middle, or in this case, a dodo in the middle, it's usually Dave who's eavesdropping on us. Ah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, so it's so it's a book really about about pictures. So using pictures to describe quantum theory and also to to really do quantum theory. Uh, so so not not just kind of giving diagrams like you would have maybe in a you know in a physics class to give you an idea of what's going on, you know, where you you know I've drawn a picture of a block and it's falling or something right. like that. Um, this is a kind of way of working with the diagrams where the diagrams are the math so rather than working with formulas you work with diagrams Um, and the way you calculate with diagrams is you get some set of rules of turning one one picture or one diagram into another one Um, and these rules are coming uh, from quantum theory so so quantum theory tells us what we can do there um, and then by the by the end of the book what, what you're able to do is if somebody says oh I did this thing and this thing and this thing in my quantum lab uh, then then you can draw this picture and sort of plug plug its wires into this picture and plug its wires into this picture and you can see you know here's what quantum theory says happened uh, and and you can you can uh, really calculate using this kind of
0: That's very interesting. There's a couple of themes that we've had throughout the podcast over the last almost year now, which is how do you take people who don't really know anything about this and get them sufficiently briefed so that they can use whatever tools have developed to the time to do something? This sounds like a great way to do it. And I I liken it back to when I first started learning about this. It was a while after I started delving into quantum computing as a hobbyist that I found the block sphere and i found the blocksphere very mm-hmm. helpful as a visualization guide it made it made things make so much more sense and it sounds like that that you're taking that maybe not basing it on that but but going in that direction and i think that's great um is so that's the that's one book are, are you working on any others that are in that same vein or something similar
1: uh, yeah so so that book came out in 2017 um, and i i wrote it with my with bob who is my former phd supervisor Um, And now kind of going, going one generation down, I'm writing, currently writing the sequel to that book with my former PhD student, uh, John Van de Beekening. Um, and, and this book is called Picturing Quantum Software. Uh, so it uses similar kinds of techniques. So again, all of the, all of the important math is in pictures. It's just doing things with pictures. Uh, but, but it's a bit more focused. So, whereas picturing quantum processes was really about all of all of quantum theory and trying to give a really an introduction to that, uh, picturing quantum software is is really focused on quantum computing uh, and how and how we can go about writing the code that, that works on quantum computers, um, how we can think about compiling to, to that kind of code, and, and how we can and how we can do this really well. So, so, so it goes into various topics about how you, for instance, optimize computations that would run on a quantum computer or, or prove that they're correct or that they're doing the thing that you want them to do. Um, and it connects these diagrammatic techniques to a few things that have been happening over the past decade or so, kind of in the broader quantum computing realm, uh, really focused toward making correct, efficient quantum
0: software that's awesome is um it seems that the the hardest thing to do and it seems like you're chipping away at that is to help people understand how to actually do something with this once once you understand the quantum circuits and and the algorithms that are in place it's kind of daunting to kind of go and say okay i'm going to write a new algorithm that does something uh in fact so it's so hard that the people who've done it we know by name like peter Shor and and, uh, and some of the others, um, is that where you're trying to get to? Is that what you're trying to enable people to do?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's at least part of the goal is, is to, is to give the kinds of the right kinds of language and the right kinds of tools to, to really get some, some feel for what these things are doing. Um, so for instance, if you, if you write. A classical computer program in a in a programming language, um, you know, you usually do this in some kind of high level language, right? I won't write an assembly code. I'll write in right. i write in C or Java or Haskell or what have you, um, and that's generally regarded to be a good thing, right? Because you can you you can Abstracted see the, away how's the expression go. You can see the you you can't see the forest for the trees or whatever the opposite of that is you know you can see the forest uh, because you're not distracted by the trees right um, and, and and that's kind of the, the same thing we're we're trying to accomplish with with the pictorial languages um, and the thing that's challenging there of course is that what what quantum computers do and the way that they do it is so different from how we're used to thinking about, Data and processing data and doing logic about that uh, that, data—that we really need to come up with totally new tools uh, for doing that.
0: That's pretty exciting, though, isn't it? It, It's kind of a a bold frontier, and I know that, like, particle physics moves very slowly. So, so this is a way to to kind of move quickly in a field that that takes a long time to make fundamental discoveries. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I think so. I think. um... And I think things have been happening quickly here. I mean, this is, this is quite a, it's still a relatively small area, this, this idea of using, using pictures to work with quantum theory. Um, but really a lot has happened um, in the past two, three, four years, something like that. Going from this, this idea that, oh, well, maybe, maybe this will be useful. I mean, it, and, and at least it's very different which is kind of what we were thinking, you know, by in the sort of early 2010s around kind of when the book came out. And then the few years after that, we saw a few kind of big results in this area and thought, okay, well, now it's, it's clear that this thing is really useful. So let's, let's really find, find, um, good uses for it and start to start to make progress.
0: Cool. Um, so I, I don't want to derail us quickly because i have some things i wanted to say for the end of the show and we're still not nearly close to there um if you were to talk about the zx calculus involved what you know that's a term that that i i've taken a lot of calculus um and i assume that means that it's just different different plane rather than the xy plane it's a different plane how is that different from regular calculus or or is it
1: uh yeah so it's um it's maybe a bit of a terminology clash because it's, it's completely different from regular calculus. Um, uh, so, so much so that it's just a kind of a different use of the word calculus. Ah, okay. Um, but but the, um, the, the way that we use the word calculus there is a little bit closer to the way it gets used in, in, the, in the term lambda calculus. If you've ever encountered this term lambda calculus... Uh, this is basically like if you do some, if you do some functional programming like in mm. Haskell or, yeah. or, or ML F-sharp. or something like that.
0: or F-sharp, F-sharp, yeah.
1: a um, There's a way you can describe that in mathematics uh, where you kind of, where you peel away the kind of details of, of, of running it on a computer. And you think about, you know, what is the math of this kind of language? And that's called lambda calculus. So it's basically you make some formulas and these formulas have lambdas in them. Which says that you know lambda lambda x mm-hmm. dot something means that I've got a new variable coming into my function called x, and I'm going to do something with it. Um, and the thing that's that's useful there is you is you give some rules. So you say, okay, well, if I write down a formula in the lambda calculus, well, here's a here's a rule of what happens, right? So if I I have a variable called x and then I plug something into it then then that thing gets substituted for x so that's a kind of a rewrite rule um, that you use to to update your formulas Mm -hmm. and you can use this to describe say what a program does maybe I shouldn't get too distracted talking about lambda calculus because that's that's kind of that's, that's that's the old stuff that's that's the that's the classical stuff
0: um so, so, so I was wrong. It's not, it's not based on the, you know, Isaac Newton calculus. It is a different use of the word. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I guess there's, there's probably some reason that, that, uh, I think it was invented by church. The church originally called it that. Um, but, but we're, we're using it in that sense that it's a collection of rules. Um, well, I guess calculus is kind of like that too, right? You have a problem you want to solve and you have this bag of rules Yep. if you apply to your to your formula, and then and then when you know a number pops out or something at the end, you know you're you're done applying the rules. You've yeah. got the answer. Yeah, you get uh, the so, slope. So yeah, the, I guess yeah. in that sense, it's the same.
0: Okay, um, um, is it? It seems to play a big role in in not only your research, but but the the way you've generated these concepts, these pictures in your books. Is that is that a fundamental part of of what you're using to to drive this? Is it something that people should learn, should dive into?
1: Yeah. So it's, um, I would say it's, it's one of the most concrete things to come out of this whole program of, um, of, of diagrammatic quantum theory, or sometimes it gets called quantum picturalism. Um, and it's a, it, it concerns a particular kind of diagram, um, which is called a ZX diagram. Um, And this is basically it's a graph that has red and green dots in it uh, or, or, you know, light gray and dark gray dots in it if you're colorblind. Um, okay.
0: we we tried to We've actually spent
1: quite some time discussing to make this accessible to as many people as possible. I Um, wish more people
0: did that. I'm not colorblind, but I'm I'm empathetic to the plight. Yeah. Yeah.
1: so yeah, you, you have this diagram of, of different colored dots, and they're connected to each other in various ways um, and and they can be they can be labeled with some some data um, the, these are actually angles you can you can label them with okay and the and the point is if I do any kind of quantum computation, well let's say any kind of computation on some qubits. Um, so, so the kind of the most basic kind of quantum system is qubits. And I can mm-hmm. have a bunch of qubits in my quantum computer. Um, I can describe that computation with such a diagram, with a ZX diagram. Um, and the reason it's useful to do that is we have a handful of rules that let us turn one diagram into another one. Um, and it's it's kind of like it's kind of like calculus, I guess. So you can say, well, so i have this circuit maybe i want to know what this circuit does uh, or i want to get some kind of answer about it um, i should say diagram so i have a zx diagram i want to get some kind of answer about it so i apply these rules and i keep applying and i keep applying and at some point an answer comes out okay um maybe that answer is you know a a probability like i i want to measure my my quantum state at the end, what's the probability that I'll get one answer or another one. I can apply these rules and it will answer that. Okay. Form. So it's a, it's a kind of math for, for, for understanding what the quantum computer is doing.
0: So almost like a simulator.
1: It's so one of the things you can do with it is, is, is simulation. So you can, you can do classical simulation of, 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 uh, of quantum computations, um, I should say certain quantum computations, because the, there's some that are easy to simulate and some that are hard to simulate. Yeah. Um, and that's a good thing, because if there weren't hard things to do on a classical computer, we wouldn't bother to, to, to spend millions of dollars to build these, these quantum computers. True. Um, but, well, it can, but it can certainly help you at, at tackling this hard problem, even on a classical computer.
0: Uh, so, so like in C Sharp, uh, not C Sharp, Q Sharp, for example, uh, on the Microsoft platform, I can either run my algorithms on an actual quantum computer from one of the backend vendors that they support, and mm-hmm. I'll get real results, distributed results, probabil- probabilistic results, or uh-huh. I can run it in a simulator, which produces perfect results. There's there's no wavering in the probabilities, yeah. um, and and that's true of most of the cloud platforms. IBM's got the same thing; they do mm-hmm. simulation. You can submit the calculations to be done as a simulation or to be done on an actual quantum circuit. Um, Is is that the math that's underlying this? Is that the system that's typically underlying this, or is it one of many approaches that are possible?
1: Um, So there's, I would say it's, it's one of many. So, so there's for a given quantum computation, there's, there's many potential ways you could try to simulate that classically. Um, There's, there's the naive way, which which always works, which always terminates and gives you an answer. Um, and this is some version of this is what's being done with all of these with all of these cloud simulators. Okay. Um, and I and I say it's I say it's naive. Maybe maybe brute force or something is the way to say it. I mean, so they do some probably do some clever stuff, but but in the end, you 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 have to pay a price, which is the that how much memory these things take or how much time these things take tends to go exponentially large with right. how many qubits.
0: Well, and, and hence, as you said, uh, if it wasn't that way, we wouldn't, we just dispense with the quantum circuits and just simulate it. And we'd be yeah. done. Yeah, that's, so, that's right. Um, um, that's good, good to know.
1: So that's, that's the kind of simulation which always works. Uh, and it works for any kind of quantum computation you want to give to the thing. Uh, but it just might take a very long time. Yeah, the the kinds of things I'm interested in, um, and the, and the the techniques like ZX calculus, and there's other there's other things kind of in this sphere. Um, you may have heard the term stabilizers or stabilizer theory
0: mm-hmm.
1: somewhere. Um, there, there's other kinds of techniques where you can start to use some structure of the computation, and you can simulate it better. So there's techniques also based on tensor networks. I'm just saying some words now, actually. No, but, I get it. I, but I, but I, there, there's there's these kinds of more 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 fine grain techniques where you can really look at. Okay, well, here's it's it's not just like I'm trying to do any kind of computation, but but I really want to know the answer from this particular computation. So right. can I use something about that that it's that's going to make it easy?
0: Yeah, I mean, I we I've said. It's been said on this podcast before. We really don't know what the final state of quantum computing is going to be and until we try throwing everything including the kitchen sink at it. We won't know if we get, you know, till we get there. So applying tensors or different mathematics or different, you know, uh, pretty much anything. It, everything's on mm-hmm. the table. We're in the we're in the bold frontier where we don't know where it's going to end up. We yeah. we thought maybe that classical computing was going to be vacuum tubes for a while and that wasn't correct. So yeah. I,
1: and I guess along that that vein, and 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 something that's been coming up a a lot in the past you know year year plus since since these first kinds of Google you know quantum advantage uh, results or quantum supremacy results, however you want to call it, is is you know we don't we still don't fully understand what's hard yet because because I mean it's it's a hard it's a it's a difficult answer to, to say, you know, is this thing hard enough? Because because that has to take into account any kind of possible classical algorithm you might come up with in the future, right? Uh, to 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 solve that problem, um, and in fact, things that we think are are are, are really hard um, on a classical computer, but easy on a quantum computer, you know, this is this is always a, a moving threshold. Re- Recently, there were some results that, that simulated these, um, these, these original supremacy experiments. Now, I think on an order of minutes, you, you're doing some fancy stuff on, on, on classical really? supercomputers. So. It's,
0: it's, um, it's kind of like the, the 3x plus 1 problem. I'm not sure if you know, but there's many math problems where you can't prove that the rule that you see is always true because you can't go to infinity. But, but you go to an enormous numbers and it's still the rule holds, but you still can't prove it um, just by showing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're still in that case. But I, let's go back to quantum supremacy for a minute. I <clears throat> Maybe I'm just reading the wrong articles or listening to the wrong propaganda. Is there consensus yet that we've reached quantum supremacy or is it still no one's willing to, no one's... Comp- no one's experiment is willing to be accepted by all as quantum supremacy. Is that where we are at? Or are we shortly before quantum supremacy or, or is it going to be an elusive thing? Do you think, or or maybe I'm wrong and it's already been achieved and proven. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I'd say we we're, we're far from a consensus in terms of absolutes. Like, like, like I, I don't think,
0: well, one company a is not going to admit that company B achieved quantum well, supremacy. Yeah. So,
1: so, so there's, as, as uh, private
0: companies start
1: to do this, there's certainly an aspect of that going on.
0: Um, and country a won't admit that well, country B did. either. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it's, it's also, I mean, there, there's, there's two kinds of questions when it comes to, to, to quantum advantage, um, which is, which is the other term that this, this quantum supremacy gets goes by sometimes. Mm. Um, what one is you know have we given an an absolute you know have we done something on a quantum computer that that we can absolutely prove is is incredibly hard to do on a classical computer for any for any possible algorithm that we could come up with ever in the future Um, and it seems to be possible to do such a thing i mean if you make certain Assumptions about complexity theory and so on. That, then there there do seem to be problems of this nature that if we that if we do them and we can, <clears throat> provided we believe certain reasonable things about computation, that, that 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 we'll just never be able to do this on a classical computer.
0: Right. Um, it, but we may it have to get so far beyond it before everybody accepts it.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem like we're at the kind of scale yet
0: that. that that we're just totally
1: out of reach of classical supercomputers, right? So when the when the this first Google paper came out, they said it would take ten thousand years to, to simulate this on a classical computer, and then IBM says, "Oh, we can do it And what did they say in a few, in a few days or something?" But yeah. we're not going we're not going to, but we could. Yeah. Um, and and then yeah, re- recently techniques have come come out that have gotten that down to to hours and then and then to, to minutes. And there's. Yeah. You, usually it comes from really squinting at the actual thing that's being done there. And there's some kind of chink in the armor of, of, of how hard that thing is, you know? So, so for instance, maybe the, maybe there's one part of the circuit that just doesn't have so much entanglement there. So, so you can sort of, you can sort of break this into two pieces, uh, and yeah. do an amount of work that, 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 that depends on this fairly small amount of entanglement and so on. And and we we might be in this kind of back and forth situation for a while, um, but what does seem to be clear and a kind of a building consensus is is that the devices that are appearing are doing things which are at least at least non trivial. I mean, if you're they're they're calculating things numerically that are actually hard to do. You know, we need to. We need to go away and spend some time thinking about how to do this, and then we put it on some big supercomputer that's using some megajoules of power or something like that on on, on on however many GPUs, and then we're doing what what the what the quantum computer did, which yeah. I think is all is is already a pretty uh, a pretty exciting time to be in for, for quantum computing because if you, if you think about like when I was when I was doing my PhD, they. The thing that people were still talking about and joking about was, yes, recently this this big lab has used their quantum computer to factor
0: fifteen into three mm-hmm. times five. I was just so, going to say so that
1: we we're, we're, we seem to have kind of left that that era, which is which is pretty cool.
0: I think we're up to twenty one now.
1: Wow. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so. You know, we're getting up there. Yeah. We can play blackjack. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like it, it's really. The quantum advantage, quantum supremacy thing is a bit of a political football, a little bit of a, yeah, but, um, but you got to kind of make up your own mind and and understand that there's, there's political reasons for people to say, no, that's not quantum supremacy. Um, but we're definitely getting to the point where, um, it, we're going to get there now. I I think the Deutsch, Yauza and Josa, um, algorithm was written specifically to show, to be able to prove that. And, and I haven't heard much talk about that for over a year. So maybe mm-hmm. um, we're letting the Titans fight it out. Um, so if you don't mind, I'd like to to switch subjects as we get towards the end of the podcast and ask you about something near and dear to my heart, which I think is also somewhat, maybe it's not near, but maybe it's dear to your heart, which is quantum key distribution, because you've written at least one paper on, on that. And I'd love to hear what um, Alice, aka Alex and Bob and Dodo Dave the Dodo, think about uh, quantum key distribution at this moment.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I could I could talk a little bit about that. So I should I should I should first prefix this with the with the sort of um, disclaimer that I'm that I'm not a, a quantum crypto person. Uh, so so if I do end up saying saying something that's going to make somebody who really specializes in quantum cryptography cringe, then I I'll have to apologize in
0: advance. But- no problem. Um, I, you at least play one on TV though, right? Yeah, <clears> play <I one> just
1: <throat> <laughs> It's just a joke. It's, yeah. I'm not a doctor, I, but I played I one I'm on TV. On TV now, so. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, so I, I, wrote this paper a few years back called called picture perfect quantum key distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, and, as you, and as you can tell, like, I, I like writing things that have picture somewhere in the title. Um, and, it's, and as you might expect from that, it's also, it's also using this diagrammatic approach. Um, and what we, what we do there, um, so, so quantum key distribution is, is, is a way of, of two distant parties, uh, to, to establish some shared mm-hmm. random bits. So, so, so effectively to establish a key between the two of them.
0: And we've covered BB 84 and, and talked a little bit about Eckhart and, um, mm-hmm. in the past. So, uh, th- those who have listened to the older podcast might be aware, but Basically, it's a mechanism for me and you to share um, and create a um, what we call a single-use pad, a set of bits to encrypt o- that we will only ever use once, which mm-hmm. mathematically makes it an unbreakable cipher as long as no one's no no one's privy to the to the to the bits we're using. In other words, to prevent eavesdropping.
1: Yeah. So so this um, so BB84 the the. The BB is for Bennett and Brassard, and then the '84 is for 1984 when this came out. So, right. so um, people have known about how to do this in principle for a while. Um, and the the important thing to to show, um, so so there's there's also been a lot of proofs related to this protocol sort of coming out. The, the important thing that you want to prove with this is that if there is some kind of person in the middle. Um, sort of eavesdropping on the channel, uh, and they're able to get any information about these random bits that you're trying to share. So, these key bits, if they're able to get any information out about that, uh, that this is detectable. Okay, so that so the it makes use of the fact that you know somebody's observing this quantum system in the middle or, or, or trying to do some kind of measurement in the middle that, that that's always visible um by so in this case by bob bob should be able to tell that somebody is tampering with your channel uh if if they got any information um so so the the original paper actually didn't give any proof of this fact uh they just said that well it should be it should be true Mm -hmm. um and and maybe gave some kind of intuition uh of of why this should be true um it turns out that, that that this is true um but then there was a series of proofs and these proofs can can often have some kinds of problems with them or or maybe you need to be clear really about what your assumptions are and and you know what what do i mean by an attacker who can possibly do anything in the middle
0: um, well and and how do you tell the difference between noise and error from an attacker or are they the same yeah or if i if i have a noisy line and uh, just to back up a little bit the my understanding of bb84 is that you and i are going to exchange <clears throat> photons or something uh that can be entangled two entangled uh, a stream of entangled particles photons mm-hmm. is usually the example and because of the way we're going to read them we're going to randomly choose you know rectilinearly or, or diagonally um then half of those bits should be random and half of them should be completely in line with each other. Yeah. And then we'll share how we measured so we know which ones are the random and can throw them away. And now we have a bunch of bits that we've shared and we can then do a test by revealing them to each other to say, well, what's the error rate? And if the error rate's overly high, we either have a a bad connection and we should try again or we have an eavesdropper and we should try again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right.
0: Now I've been, I've been refining that description so I can get into an elevator speech as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, um, but what you're talking about is the, the question I had when I re- first heard about it is, well, what are those numbers? So if I have a 65% error rate, does that mean it can't possibly be, um, I can't possibly be safe and I have to abort or is it 67%? What's the error rate? Right, that I should abandon and, it's,
1: from? and it's, um, So yeah, so so it's kind of a it's kind of a seesaw, actually. So so there is you can't say like, okay, well here's here here's the number where I should give up, and here's the number where I shouldn't give up. Um but Mm -hmm. what you can show um and and in the picture perfect paper we, we give a version of this proof using using diagrams and a kind of extension to the diagram language. Um what you can show is 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 that the amount of information that the person in the middle is able to extract about your key Uh, so now i mean information in the sense of like information theory so if you if you if you know you've heard these terms like shannon theory it's a way of measuring kind of how much information someone's getting Mm -hmm. so this is this is a quantity um it basically reflects how how likely this eavesdropper is to guess correctly what your key was. Um so so this quantity of information that the eavesdropper gets is directly a function of how much noise you see. Right. Okay. So, and it's and it's an inverse function. So if I see lots of no, no, it's a direct function, right? If I see lots of noise, then the eavesdropper is at least in principle able to get lots of information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can decide for your own self. Well, well, what amount of information is is acceptable, right? If the if an eavesdropper right. has only one in one in you know a million chance of guessing what my key is, then this is an acceptable amount of, of leakage,
0: depending on what, what I'm, I'm sending, sending. What's that? It, I, depending on what I'm sending. So, for depending example, depending on what you're sending. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, 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 if I'm sending
1: cat photos, maybe. maybe uh, <laughs> Maybe a one in four is 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 perfectly acceptable, yeah, um, one of the yeah.
0: examples I use when I talk about cryptography is that in this pardon the military analogies i'm i'm ex army officer um <clears throat> is that if I'm sending artillery strike positions, I only need them to be secure for less than a minute mm-hmm. and so i I typically all use weaker encryption, whereas wow. if I'm sending secrets that are going to have repercussions twenty ten fifty years down the line, yeah. I have a much higher standard for the security because it would still it would be a tragedy if somebody broke it even ten years hence, whereas with the artillery it's not gonna matter after a minute mm-hmm. so I think that's the big factor of it <clears throat> i yeah, i this is, this is actually
1: something that um when when people talk about post quantum crypto, so this is like you know using types of cryptography which will not be breakable by quantum computers or at least like, we don't know how to break them quantum
0: like computers. homomorphic. Um and uh you know uh elliptical curve, that kind of stuff is what you Well yeah, about. so you have these kinds of
1: so so one example is these kind of lattice-based cryptos. So so the basically things that aren't based on factoring numbers or or on uh or on solving solving elliptic curves, uh which are which are the things that are broken by quantum computers.
0: Right. Um Thanks, Peter so, Shore.
1: So <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks for that. Um so criticism that people working in this area often get is, well, why should we switch now to to, to using post-quantum stuff if, if quantum computers are 10, 15, 20 years from being able to crack these codes? Uh, and it's exactly what you said. It's kind of that the, the would-be eavesdroppers are just are just sitting there sucking up all of this encrypted data now yeah. and putting, putting them on a hard drive somewhere, or they could be, you know, so let's assume that they are um and and 20 years down the line uh when there is a quantum computer they can just decrypt all this stuff
0: right and with, and if with, those facts are if that data is no longer useful then no problem but if it is exactly
1: no so 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 this is a uh, this is how this is how the people i know in, in post quantum crypto uh you know ask for money now <laughs> even even though, <laughs> even though you know it might it might not matter for 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 10 or, 10 or 20 years right
0: Um, so Alex, I think we're running out of time and it's been great talking to you. I wish Cyprian was here next time. If you're willing to join us again, if I haven't scared you away, he'll definitely be here on the page that we have for the podcast, we'll provide links to your books. And uh, I think that's something not only our listeners should check out, but I should go check out. Um, so, uh, thanks for joining us. We really, I really appreciate talking to you and, uh, I hope to talk to you again sometime soon.
1: All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you.